You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. We've been talking about this a lot in in these last few weeks, that when we translate words from one culture into our own language, It's easy to interpret those words according to our cultural tradition. Surprisingly, (laughs) this happens, as we've talked about, when it comes to our English translations of the ancient scriptures. Reading our cultural understanding into the meaning of the Bible creates unknowingly a double whammy. On the one hand, we distort what the scriptures are trying to reveal to us, and we miss, at the same time, what those scriptures are actually trying to teach us when we import our cultural understanding into the meaning of the scriptures. And our current sermon series has been designed in a small way to counter both of these effects. Together, what we're doing is we're evaluating our English translations of key biblical words through the filter, not of our modern perceptions or our cultural understanding, but through the lens of the original understanding of the ancient cultures that passed them along to us, namely the Hebrews and the Greeks. Now, we've looked at a couple of different words over the course of this series, and there'll be some slides on the screen that'll pass quickly just to kind of show you where we've been. Shema, listen, was our first week. Yahweh, which we translate as Lord. Ahava, which we translate as love. And we also looked at agape in Greek, which also is the same, has the same meaning of love. And last week, we looked at the word lev, the Hebrew word lev that means heart. And today, we're going to be looking at a word called nefesh, which is about the soul. And we're basing, we're kind of focusing on a key scripture in both the Jewish and Christian faiths known as the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And today, like I said, our word of the week is the Hebrew word nefesh. Can you say that? Nefesh. Okay. And its equivalent in biblical Greek, by the way, is the word psyche. Psyche. You probably have heard that before. In English, we translate both of these words as soul. And in order to get a little bit of a context of how that works out in our English translations, I want to read a little bit from Psalm 42, just the first five verses. So your Bibles are open to that. Here, the first few verses of Psalm 42. It reads, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The soul. What is the soul? The way we translate this word nephesh or psyche again in Greek. Webster's Dictionary gives the following definition. The soul is the spiritual nature of humans, regarded as immortal, separable from the body at death, and susceptible to happiness or misery in a future state. And I think that dictionary definition neatly summarizes how most of us tend to think and understand the soul. 
Most people, Christians included, assume we as humans are both something material and immaterial. This soul, we believe, is the immaterial, non-physical part of us. This disembodied part of us is more than, in fact, it's greater than, we believe, our physicality because we understand that it exists beyond our material life and endures after our death. Hence, the idea of the immortal soul. Our bodies, we perceive, are temporary and break down. Therefore, the soul is what is true, what is real, what is lasting about us. When we die, our souls are released, set free from this mortal coil to experience the afterlife with God. This interpretation of soul has been heavily influenced by our understand has heavily influenced our understanding of the gospel. But here it is. Here's where we start this morning, and it's it's going to be interesting today. None of what I just said to you aligns with the scriptural understanding of nephesh or psyche. None of it. This modern Western understanding that we have of the soul and the afterlife that I just articulated to you actually originates not from the Bible, but from Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. So what's different? And I'm I'm serious this morning. (laughs) Buckle up because we're going to start here. You don't have a soul. You don't have a soul. That's right, you heard it correctly. You and me, we don't have a soul. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that we have a soul, at least not in the way we think we do. This brings us to our word for the day, the Hebrew word nephesh. It's used 754 times in the Bible. That's a lot. It's a very common word in Hebrew, as you can probably tell. But here's the thing. It's only translated into English as soul a hundred times, roughly a hundred times. Because you see, nephesh is this broad, plastic sort of word that bears many nuances of meaning. In fact, this foundational idea of nephesh is so um, foundational in biblical thought, it has so many layers to it, we have, it gets translated, in fact, into several different English words. And so to start this morning, in order to appreciate the deeper and full meaning of nephesh, we need to pull back some of those layers. So let's do that. The most common translation of nephesh into English is not soul, it's actually the word life. Because nephesh is about one's entire living physical being. When in the Bible, King Saul searches in the wilderness for David in order to kill him. I don't know if you remember this part of the biblical story. King Saul goes out into the wilderness to try to hunt down David and kill him. David is warned in the original Hebrew, Saul is seeking your nephesh, your life. In the Old Testament, murderers in Hebrew are called nephesh slayers. Kidnappers are referred to as nephesh thieves. Notice something right from the outset. I don't know if you picked this up. Right from the outset, the integration and not the separation of our physicality, of our body, our flesh, and our blood in the meaning of nephesh. To be human, biblically, means having a physical life, not some immaterial existence. Now, ironically, despite everything I told you before, how we often think about soul, the word soul, we actually speak more in line with the biblical understanding of nephesh when, say for example, you're on a cruise ship or an airplane and an attendant does a count of everyone present and reports there are 300 souls on board. He or she isn't informing the captain of the vessel there are 300 disembodied essences in tow. 
He or she is talking about lives. I said to start, you don't have a soul. You and I don't have a soul because here it is. Biblically, we don't have a nephesh. Biblically, we don't have a soul. Biblically, we are nephesh. We are soul. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, it records that when we were formed from the soil of the earth, we were animated by God's spirit or breath, and we were not given a soul. We became soul. Genesis reads, we became nephesh, a living, physical being. Interestingly, get ready for this. Interestingly, the Bible also refers to the whole animal kingdom, along with humankind, as nephesh too. This is despite the fact, think about this, that many often assert animals don't have a soul. Well, they're right. Animals don't have a soul. But they're also wrong because humans, like animals, are soul. They are nephesh. Now, you might push back if you're tracking with me and say, well, wait a second. If humans don't have a soul, then what makes humans any different from the animals? Biblically, the distinctiveness of humanity is not the possession of an immaterial, immortal soul. Our uniqueness as human beings derives from being created in the image, the impression, the mold, if you will, of our creator, of Yahweh. And what this means, this idea of image-bearing, impression, or mold, like I said, is that our distinctiveness resides in our bearing, by God's design and grace, both the capacity and the responsibility to represent him. In the scriptures, nephesh as life or being is sacred because it is a work of God. It is what remains in the Lord's care and hands and therefore belongs to Yahweh alone. To meddle with or to violate nephesh is to assume the position of Yahweh. To defy one's status as creature, part of the creation, and instead to presume to be the creator. And an example of these various prohibitions related to one's nephesh can be seen in the scripture's various laws related to blood. You know, all those stuff, that stuff we skip over in Leviticus, right? Because biblically, blood is a reflection of one's nephesh, one's life. That's why the Israelites were told to avoid the consumption of blood, to the point of even pounding out all the blood during their preparation of meat. Because to not do so, to consume blood, was equated with murder biblically. Why? Because you were sustaining one's own nephesh through the sacred nephesh of another. Once again, if you're, I will really try to hit this for you. Notice, through its association with blood, nephesh is again being tied to our bodies. Taking this physicality of nephesh a little bit further... The most basic root meaning of this word, I told you the most common translation, which is life, but the basic root meaning of the word nephesh actually translates throat. The association here is one of representing, the throat representing one's whole life and being. And if you think about it, this makes sense because the throat is an essential, delicate part of one's existence. Our throats are our means for life, right? In that the throat is the conduit for food and drink, and even more importantly, for oxygen, for God's breath to connect to our body. Again, an example of this. In the book of Numbers, 
Remember in the book of Numbers, the Israelites had had enough, right? The Israelites are complaining about how much better things were in Egypt as they grumble about their need for meat and water. The people cry out in Hebrew, our nephesh is dried up. They're pointing to their throats as a way of saying, we're dying out here. As we continue to strip back the layers of the meaning of this word nephesh, it also carries a personal dimension. Because again, interestingly, biblically, nephesh is frequently used to refer to oneself or to another person. The English translations of nephesh in these situations in our Bibles appear as me or I or you or he or she, but in the original Hebrew, the pronouns weren't used. Nephesh was. The choice to use nephesh was a way of emphasizing one's whole person, the totality of one's existence, the every fiber of one's being. And again, there are traces of this biblical understanding of nephesh in what we call soul music, right? Soul music is about getting in touch with the core of our humanity. Soul music is the kind of music you don't just listen to. You experience it so deeply that your body has to move. Again, notice that inseparable link with our physicality. Our personhood, according to the Bible, is not divorced from our bodies. We are not, contrary to what the police sing, spirits living in a material world. A person doesn't have a nephesh. A person is nephesh. Nephesh is the total package of who we are, our personality, our identity. Nephesh is all of me and all of you, including our bodies. But if you've been tracking with me, there it still sits out there like a sore thumb. If nephesh is all of me and all of you, including our bodies, our bodies are perishable. Our bodies break down. If, if we don't have an immortal, immaterial soul, if that's not what nephesh means, then what happens to us after we die? Isn't the hope that we die and we go to heaven, that our souls rest for eternity as disembodied spirits in the presence of God? No! The Bible doesn't communicate this vision at all. This is where things get really interesting in terms of the word nephesh. Because you see, another layer here, inherently, biblically, there's an element of need associated with nephesh. And you actually may have picked that up in our reading today from Psalm 42. Let me just read you the first verse again. As the deer pants for the water, really powerful image, right? So my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. The first use of nephesh here is related again to throat. On a physical level, we can thirst like a deer. But then notice how nephesh is used the second time in that single verse to become a metaphor of how nephesh expresses how our whole being thirsts to know and be known by our creator. You see, originally, our entire whole, our unified life as humankind, along with the rest of creation, was created as embedded into the fabric of eternity. We're back in Genesis here. Originally, all of us and all of creation was embedded into the fabric of eternity. Our relationship with God as image bearers, representatives of Yahweh, was perfectly in sync and harmonious. But then sin disrupted everything. And here it is. Sin does not result from our bodies burdening down our soul or from clouding the mind. 
The very root of sin is the matter of the will, humanity's unwillingness to acknowledge the reality and implications of our creaturehood. Because you see, even before the emergence of sin, if you think about it, even before the emergence of sin, our nephesh existed in a state of dependence, right? Our life, our being required sustenance and nourishment, oxygen, food, and water, basic essentials made available, provided by the grace of God. But instead of confessing and living in utter dependence upon Yahweh, we revolted against our identity as creatures in relation to our creator. And we continue, by the way, this revolution as we try to remake God in our own image and likeness. Sin mortally wounded all nephesh. Hear this. Sin mortally wounded all nephesh, according to the Bible. Not just human life, but all creation. The brokenness of our lives and our world, apart from God due to sin, was profoundly reinforced. Not only was our dependence upon Yahweh profoundly reinforced by the consequences of sin, but it also, sin also exposed the vulnerability of our nephesh apart from Yahweh. You see, biting off more than we could chew, in mistaking our God-given ability to experience wholeness as being the same thing as the power to sustain and nurture ourselves apart from God, death entered into the picture. No longer was our nephesh just dependent upon God for food, water, and air. Now our nephesh needed Yahweh for deliverance in order to endure beyond death. We know this world all too well. Bound by time, right? Bound by time, our nephesh diminishes and loses vitality. Our nephesh becomes subject. We are subject to harm from accident, illness, or threat. And one way or another, nephesh eventually dies. Now, the Israelites, they view death as the event of creation in reverse. Out of the dust and the breath of God, we became nephesh, as I said before. To the Hebrews, when a person took his or her last breath, both breath and flesh returned to their place of origin. Breath to the wind and flesh to the dust. Hear this, to the Israelite, death did not reveal two parts of a human being, a deceased physical body and an immaterial immortal soul. To them, what was lost, what was gone, was the person's status as nephesh. Notice I said status as nephesh. This is really interesting, even though they didn't know how. And, and the, it's, the Bible is not really interested in how this all works. But even though they didn't know how, you can find it. The Israelites believed death did not destroy the nephesh. Death did not destroy the whole person. They were not thrown by the presence of a corpse because Yahweh had given them the promise that nephesh would be saved. Look at, listen to the words of another psalm. Hear it in it. Psalm 16. This is not New Testament. This is old. For you will not leave my nephesh among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Out of this promise, they perceived the hope of physical resurrection, the deliverance of nephesh from bondage to sin and vulnerability to death. Their expectations, hear it again, were for a physical bodily resurrection because, remember, to the Israelites, nephesh is inseparably linked to our physicality, 
our bodies. And again, if you think about it, instinctively, we also equate a person with their body. If I came home, God forbid, and saw my spouse, Beth, lying on the floor, I wouldn't call 911 and say, there's an unconscious body on the floor. No, I'd say my wife's unconscious on the floor. At funerals, people frequently refer to the corpse of the deceased by name, retaining one's personal identity. In the same way, the Israelites knew the fulfillment of the promise of Nephesh's endurance lay in the offspring of Abraham, of Israel, the line of David, the root of Jesse, the coming of the Messiah. In the meantime, until the Messiah came, and Nephesh was rescued, the Israelites perceived those who died in the faith as acquiring a new status as one of the Rephahim. That's a Hebrew word, Rephahim. Rephahim. To be Rephahim was not to exist as some disembodied spirit. Rephahim means the weak. That's the literal translation. Rephahim means the weak. The dead were Nephesh, without substance and strength. To the Israelite, hear that. The dead were nephesh without substance and strength. To be Rephaim was to exist, to rest as a shade, as a vapor, as an echo of oneself in a place called Sheol. And that's why in the Old Testament you read all about Sheol and you're like, what Sheol? Sheol is the shadowy place where the echo or vapor or shade of a person exists. It's not hell. It might be closer to the Greek understanding of Hades. And it's interesting because when Jesus comes, one of the things we say in the creed that throws everybody off, right, is Jesus on the third day descended into hell. And you all think, fire, the devil. And Jesus gets into a karate match with the devil. The Israelites understood that Jesus went to that shadowy place to where the echo, the people who were, the, where, where the Rephahim, the weakness, the, the nephesh without strength or substance, and boom, everything changed. In the coming of the Messiah, the the anticipated promise for Nephesh was realized, particularly in Christ's death and resurrection. The biblical writers of the New Testament recognized the hope of Nephesh's continuance beyond death and into eternity. The bodily resurrection of Jesus confirmed for the Israelites who believed what they had always held on to, not in humanity as some immaterial soul entity released in death and moving on to the next life, but rather in Christ's death and resurrection, it was God's gracious action making transforming death, transforming humanity's nephesh from a perishable state to an imperishable state. In fact, if you go and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a passage that messes up a lot of people where Paul writes about this, he's writing about likening the whole process of nephesh moving from death to resurrection as being analogous to a perishable seed in nature planted in the ground that eventually gives way to new life. New life, by the way, in continuity with and not divorced from the old. That's Paul's analogy. But let me give you one of my own to try to hold, bring all this together for you, okay? I hope this works. I worked on this a lot. If we think, of in, terms of a, think in terms of a computer, okay, our nephesh as our complete physical existence, our whole life and being is the operating system. It's the operating system. It involves all the basic, tangible essentials of our lives, oxygen, food, and drink. An operating system, if you know anything about computers, 
requires hardware in order to run. An operating system is nothing without the hardware. Think of the hardware as this inseparable connection of being to our bodies. And just to expand this analogy a little bit further, and if you weren't here with us last week, I'll catch you up. Last week, we talked about lev, what we translate as heart. And I told you last week, biblically, lev is the seat of the intangible of our lives. The heart in, in the scriptures is the seat of our intellectual, emotional, and volitional part of who we are. So if we think about nefesh as being the operating system that's connected to hardware, our bodies, think of lev as the software, the written code of our thoughts, emotions, desires, and will. We build upon this initial written code as we grow and mature, as we make choices and take action. So the movement for us, the the gospel understanding of the movement from death to resurrection, the transformation of our nefesh, thanks to Jesus Christ, is not the separation of our bodies from our nefesh. It's the upgrade of both our hardware and our operating system. Expressing this in terms of the Shema, the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. To love God with all our lev is, as I said last week, to reflect the image of God in whom we are created. It's to represent God's point of view and character through how we interact with the world, through our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and will. To love God with all our nefesh is both to live in absolute dependence upon Yahweh, recognizing and relying upon God to provide basic needs, sustenance, security, delivery, to recognize your entire life belongs to God. Now, I've given you a lot. And some of you, you may, I may have lost you a couple of minutes back or maybe even a, way, way back. You may be asking yourself, so what? I know that many of you are asking this. Why do I care? How does this change anything? And I want to give you two reasons why we need to pay attention to what nefesh really means. All of what I've just said, even if you didn't understand it, this is why it matters. Number one, the physical world And by the physical world, I mean nature and our bodies. They are good and they matter. Understanding the full meaning of nefesh teaches us this universe we are a part of, all of physical creation is good and not something from which we are trying to escape. Yes, all of physical creation, including our bodies, is compromised by sin But in its essence, it is good and therefore needs to be redeemed. The concept of nefesh underscores God loves his creation. Yahweh is so committed to this universe, to this world, to our bodies. He promises and purposes to rescue our nefesh. Nefesh. So it can be what it was always meant to become. The ultimate hope of humanity, the final picture of Revelation, the last book in our story, is not of disembodied souls, but of embodied creatures, nefesh, inhabiting a renewed creation, living together in an embodied, everlasting kingdom. That's the gospel. And again, for those of you who care, and I know many of you do, nefesh properly understood means animals will be in heaven. This is not, yeah. A lot of people stress out about this, okay? And animals are going to be in heaven not just because 
They're going to be in heaven not just because the litmus test for potential salvation is no longer about having a soul. That's not why animals are going to be in heaven. Animals are going to be redeemed with the redeemed in heaven because salvation isn't about going to heaven, escaping from this world. Salvation is about God's restoration of this universe. Nefesh reminds us we're all not going somewhere else. We're coming home to life the way it was created to be. We're not waiting, and check this, we're not waiting for the afterlife. We're not waiting for the afterlife, the thing that comes after life. No, Jesus' resurrection opened up a way through death to physical existence on the other side. Not to another life, an afterlife. Jesus opened up the way to more life, if you will, life after life after death. Like that? It's not mine. It's not mine. (laughs) Now, go further with this. A new physical existence is what Jesus opens up for us, yet one in continuity with the physical being we know now. This more life is in continuity with the life we know now. Just like Jesus. This is an important part of the resurrection. Jesus was incarnated in a body and was resurrected with a body. Jesus was resurrected not as spirit, but with a physical body, transformed, yet connected to the life he knew before death. He ate and drank. He had the scars of his crucifixion on him. While the particulars are not clear, Nefesh teaches us there is a point of continuity between now and then. Therefore, you ought to be careful about minimizing your own body. And we ought to be more thoughtful about how we treat them. Yes, if you follow Jesus, you will have a new resurrection body. But here's the thing. You might be surprised what goes with you. Just saying. You might be surprised what goes with you. This continuity between nephesh now and then also speaks to how we view and treat this world. This universe, this planet, these oceans, these lands, this atmosphere are not ours to perceive or engage as disposable. Please hear me, church, because I am sick and tired of well-meaning Christians telling me that environmentalism is a political issue. Environmentalism, creation care, is not a political issue. It's a theological one. Early on when I went camping with my parents, when I just went outside in the backyard, there was one rule of thumb, and it came from the living God— Always leave this world better than you found it. Just because the Lord is going to renew the face of the earth doesn't mean that we can presume that Yahweh is going to clean up after our mess. You need to care about this planet. Not just go, well, God will fix all of that. So the first, the physical world is good and it matters. But here's the second thing that Nefesh, why it matters. Nefesh tells us our limitations don't define us. Our limitations don't define us, but our limitations can lead us deeper into relationship with Yahweh. Nefesh is all about living the embodied life. I hope you're getting that. Nefesh means human personhood. Personality is not about being an incarnated soul. It's about an animated body. In other words, we don't possess bodies Bodies aren't suitcases who carry who we really are. We are not ghosts trapped in the machine. The real essence, the deepest and most meaningful part of me and you is intimately and inseparably connected to our bodily existence. 
Nefesh conveys our bodies are integral to our whole identity. And yet, as we've talked about, to be a human being at this stage of the story is to be beset with limitations. It's true, as Nefesh, we are vulnerable and needy. We are creatures of constant longing, not just for food or drink, but we long for companionship. We long for contentment. We long for inspiration. We long for encouragement. And one way to perceive our limitations, the limitations of nefesh, is to see them as negatives. Deprivations of ourselves that we have to fill in order to be somebody. In order to have significance, in order for our lives to matter, we try to fill that God-shaped hole in all of us with stuff that won't satisfy. Food, drink, sex, money, relationships, possessions, accolades. It goes on and on and on. Believing we can never have too much of a good thing. We turn these things into something they can never be for us until we make ourselves sick. That's the pattern, right? Everybody knows this, right? You work all week and that's the pattern on Friday night. Party, consume, drink, sex, gambling, do what you want. You've earned it. Fill her up until you make yourself sick. Until you throw up, you purge all that goodness that you think is going to fill that God-shaped hole. And then you have that hangover. Man, I'm never doing that again. And then you rinse and repeat. (laughs) We turn gifts from God into obstacles that keep us from God. Hear me. Food, drink, sex, all of these good things, they're from God. But when we make those into our God's, They actually keep us from life, from nephesh. Do you understand? Understanding the meaning of nephesh reminds us that our existence, our being, is not based upon our achievement. Nephesh means both our identity and our destiny are a matter of what we are, not what we achieve. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I'm going to give you another mind bender here. Adam and Eve... Our first parents were created as nephesh in full maturity. What I mean by that is they were created possessing everything they needed to be image bearers of God. Adam and Eve did not go through the infancy and maturing process to become adults as we all do. So think about this. Their ability to procreate their intellect, their emotions, their will and moral sense to steward creation and build civilization were not achieved. They were not earned along the way, somewhere in the process. The fruit of such a process was built into their nephesh at the outset. It was in every fiber of their being and instincts And then as they had children, they passed along that same nephesh to every generation since. So don't you get it? Our identity and destiny are not defined by what we achieve. They're defined by our essence, that we are nephesh. We do not possess souls or personhood. We are persons. We are nephesh. We are what God has given us to be. We are fearfully and wonderfully made children of our heavenly father, made in his image. And that means that each of us is of equal worth and value in his eyes. All of us are provided with and do not have to earn the capacity to represent Yahweh to each other. And even when we collectively reject and fail 
in our responsibility, we ignore our capacity as image bearers. Yahweh redeems our nephesh. We are forgiven and empowered through Christ. This is not who we are, forgiven and empowered through Christ because we earn it or achieve it. We are forgiven and empowered because Jesus declares us to be so. Because Yahweh promises to finish what Yahweh started with us. Our identity and destiny are not rooted in what we earn or achieve. Please hear that. Your identity and destiny is not rooted in what you earn or don't earn or achieve or don't achieve. Your identity and destiny are rooted in the cross, the resurrection, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in and with you. Our limitations lead to our longing for Yahweh. Hear that. Our limitations lead to our longing for Yahweh, but they don't have to define or determine where we end up. What if, ask yourself this, what if instead of perceiving our limitations and our longings as negatives, as deprivations, we viewed them as pointers, as signs of something or someone beyond ourselves, of a life beyond what we can imagine or hope for? What if in those moments of need, in those experiences of limitation and lack that we all have, instead of trying to fill that hole with stuff that won't satisfy, we allowed our longings to lead us deeper into the presence and promise of Yahweh? If our nephesh can be redeemed beyond the grave by Christ, then your nephesh, you, are more than this version of yourself. There is so much more to come, to know and be fully known, to embody a beautiful, completely healed and fully realized world where heaven and earth intersect, to become and to be all we can be, not compromised, but our uncompromised best selves, not at the exclusion of others, but in full communion with God and with one another. That's the gospel. My friends, it's time to put an end to all our soul searching. The biblical story never views this world, this universe, as an alien place or an indifferent theater upon which humanity lives out some temporal life, all the while seeking and striving to escape to some heavenly destiny. Nephesh teaches us that there is no separation between the physical and the spiritual life, between the outer and inner dimension of our humanity, between the lower and higher realms. Humanity and the universe together belong to the order of creation, broken by human sin, but restored by our creator's gracious, embodied intervention in Jesus Christ. The hope of our ultimate salvation is not found in our attempts to pacify and cure our limitations and longings ourselves. Our hope, the world's hope, is found in the redemption of our nephesh, our whole being, and the life of all the world to which we belong.